Welcome to Women in B2B Marketing, a show where CMOs, VPs of marketing, and all strong women leaders in B2B discuss their top tactics, strategies, and tips for building high-performing teams, leveraging trends, and ultimately rocking their marketing careers. Made by and for women, insightful for all. I'm your host and 15-year B2B marketer, Jane Sarah. Let's dive in. Okay, thank you everybody for joining us for another episode of Women in B2B Marketing. I am fangirling a bit and super excited about our guest today. I'm always excited, but I'm extra excited today. We have with us the one and only Melissa Rosenthal, Chief Creative Officer at ClickUp. For anyone that doesn't know that, I can't imagine any listeners do not know of her, but she's been in marketing for 15 plus years. She has been named on every list that is out there for top marketers, so 30 under 30 list, 40 under 40 list. I'm hoping one day there's a 50 under 50 list so I still have a chance of making it one day. But Melissa is just so well known for everything she's done with BuzzFeed, with, with ClickUp and just amazing career. So thank you so much for joining us today, Melissa. Yeah, thank you so much for the lovely intro and for having me. Excited to be here. Cool. Let's dive in. So we were just starting to talk about this a little before we turned on the mics, but I'm curious, how did you get to where you are today as CCO and why chief creative officer versus chief brand officer, chief marketing officer, et cetera? I'd love to hear about your journey and title choice. Yeah, absolutely. Good question. So my journey, I've only been in B2B SaaS marketing for the past three plus years. Uh, the majority of my career has been consumer focused and mostly at startups. So yep. I was one of the first 10 employees of BuzzFeed. And then after BuzzFeed, I went to go co-found, pretty much co-found Cheddar with my old boss. So have been in like, you know, just more disruption, like focused roles. And the role always just shapes out to be what it is because I've been so early. It's not like I've come into those companies yes. and said, okay, this is exactly what's going to happen. It's more hey, how do we build this? This is what we want to do. And then we set the mission and we do it. But that with ClickUp, it was a little different. I After Cheddar, we'd sold Cheddar to a large cable company and I was very burnt out by media. Media landscape had shifted dramatically over the past 10 years yeah. when I had exited. And it was just not, the grass was not green, in my opinion. It felt very brown and very thirsty for water. And there was no water to be found because Facebook and Google had had taken all the water. So uh, in terms of being yes. able to really thrive and, and differentiate and build and make a difference and, and do something different and then differentiated, I, I was looking at tech and SaaS. And I'd always been interested in it, but it felt like what consumer had, tech could really use. And there was such a wide yeah. open space for that. And that really excited me where there's something that hadn't really been done before. The grass is green, the opportunity is endless. And there's this flood of you know excitement and investment around tech companies and especially tech companies that are really helping people. In media, you're, the, yes. the media and the content is the product. And I really wanted to work in an industry where there was an actual product and you can create all the yeah. storytelling on the brand to sell the product, but it wasn't the product itself. That's why I, and how I found myself in this industry. Do you find it kind of ironic that now that you, you transitioned from media into B2B, everyone starts saying everyone needs a media company in B2B, right? And so content became the product again, or the second product? Yeah, it's funny, <laughs> but content is still the product to sell the product. 
There is yes. still ARR, which media never had. It was all advertising revenue. So I like yeah. that. I think that's cool because I think it's finally like the playbook is that's catching on, but there's still a real product. Yeah. That, that's what we never had. You know, the product was just the content. Yeah. It's kind of perfect for you because you know both worlds. So when both collide, it's just magic as yeah. we've seen with everything you, you and team have done for with ClickUp. I'm curious, and then getting into, so CCO, the chief creative officer, again, some people, titles matter to people. In some spaces, it doesn't. It kind of, as a, a leader, you have to know both sides and titles do matter in the sc scope of the team and org structure. But I'm curious, why chief creative officer over chief marketing officer? Do you have any care about that? Or does it yeah, mean something? I mean, great question. And it's actually a very... A very like important question. So at the consumer level, I believe in the title of CMO because the title of CMO really does encompass everything that is marketing. And I think that person, yeah. it doesn't require the split in kind of the expertise that B2B SaaS does. Yeah. So when I was talking to ClickUp and being interested in this area and exploring it more and talking to peers in the industry, what I realized is the CMO title, the tenure is real short, <laughs> you know, like you sign up for that yeah. and you're, you're signing up for like an 18 month tenure and like you're done. And I, I'm not that yeah. type of person. I like really want to invest my, my work is my passion and I want to be in something for the long haul and build it and scale it and win and succeed. And I think a lot yeah. of like CMOs, maybe it's just because of the nature of the role. They know this. It's like journeymen and women. And they, they, they're like, after 18 months, they just go to the next company, the next company, the next company. And like, that's just not like who I yeah. am. So I wanted something where I could have longevity and I could build and I could be successful. And the thought process was that CMO just doesn't make sense. I'm like, at some point, like if you need someone, maybe like hire a CMO and that CMO can handle all the demand gen and the lead gen and all of the like lead generation marketing activities that I really didn't want to like oversee. And we can collaborate on that. Yeah. So, you know, it was like chief brand or chief creative officer made a lot of sense. They are interchangeable. I effectively see oversee everything that relates to brand. But it made a lot more okay. sense than, than uh, a CMO title. And I'm really happy I went that route. So ClickUp doesn't have a CMO. There, yeah. there is myself and a chief growth officer. And there's collaboration ah. board on how brand intersects with all of the demand gen, more traditional B2B marketing activities. Yeah, that's so interesting. And it, it kind of, as you explain all of that, it all kind of fits into place that there's a chief growth officer and you on the brand side. So how do you see those two teams? How do they work together at ClickUp? I mean, you know, without like the fact that different people roll up to different people, it's effectively, we're all under one roof, all of the activities and all the campaigns yeah. we work on together. There's always components that incorporate both growth marketing and brand, right? They, it's just, they're, yeah. it's all tied so closely together that it's not even really a thought. It's not a battle for like, yeah how we operate it. It's just sort of naturally the flow into how campaigns work, how they're rolled out. There's a rhythm to it. Yeah. That makes sense. You just like in lockstep, you two, yeah. your teams are just super collaborative. It must be a culture that the two of you create together that keeps that, those silos from breaking things down, right. And keeps the collaboration happening. Are there anything, is there anything you do in particular to keep that? Like, I love that your instinct was it isn't an issue. We, we are one team, but how do you foster that environment? Well, I mean, the chief growth officer is relatively newer. 
So a lot of that did okay. fall under me for a while. And we had someone that was kind of a director level at marketing and we worked with them. But I, it is just yeah. aligning on like your initiatives, your goals, your activities, your KPIs from like the top. And then everyone plays a role in how those yeah. are going to be rolled out. So if you're aligning on like what, like you have team goals and those goals are matched, obviously they're they're measured a little bit differently just due to the nature of the people that you have under you. I have designers and motion graphic artists and video people that are not held to demand gen goals. It's a little bit different, but my holistic goals are tied to yeah. company's goals. So it makes it a little bit easier to then cross collaborate yeah. on the on the bigger picture. And then also have activities that are outside of the scope of some of those things that, that capitalize on other opportunities that we want to do. Yeah. Amazing. And obviously ClickUp has had amazing growth over the past few years since inception and first kudos again and second how what kind of lessons have you learned away or what's top takeaway for you when you reflect back on on your time at ClickUp so far yeah I mean I think this is saying this on another podcast recently but I think there's an expectation from a lot of people that when you see growth like this and now like I'm on here talking to you where three years ago I wouldn't be (laughs) that this happened overnight and everything happens overnight. And I think people talk about yeah. like overnight success. It's like, oh, this person had a huge exit. It just yeah. happened. But nothing happens overnight. And that includes building a strong, differentiated, memorable brand. There's investment, there's strategy, there's thoughtfulness into every single decision. And it's building that muscle and investing slowly and seeing growth and doing more of it. And that's what amounts to what you see today. Because I'll get calls from peers yeah. and they're like, my CEO is like down my back to build a brand like ClickUp. And I'm like, well, it doesn't really work like that. First of all, like, <laughs> what, what is like, you shouldn't want to build a brand like ClickUp. You should want to build a brand like that's differentiated for your company, but also at the same point, like that then your CEO needs to understand that there's a lot that's required to do that. And it's not a magic, there's no magic bullet yeah. to build a brand. So I think it's like everyone yeah. wants the shiny thing and they don't understand like how hard it is and how long it takes and how many decisions and how many things go into actually doing yeah. that. So it's just a little bit of education around like what it actually takes to build a brand, like what we felt. Yeah. Everyone wants a playbook, right? Okay. ClickUp yeah. did it. So how can we do yeah. it? ClickUp didn't accomplish what they did in our space. And it's yeah. like trying to find those little secrets to success, but there are no secrets. No. It's really, I mean, there's probably generalities, like high level things, like really knowing your audience, right. Yeah. And nailing that down, which is another thing I would love to dive in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, just, I like I, I speak, it's so funny because it's like I speak high level to those generalities of like these are the things that highest level you need. And it, it sounds so simple, but it, it is like the foundational parts of what is needed. But then the rest needs to be your own playbook. The copying and pasting doesn't work for every single company. Yes. I think that's another thing. Mm-hmm. It's like you copy and paste. You have to take those, understand like the the blueprint and skeleton and then build build it yourself. Yeah build your own playbook. It's, we were touching on the audience side, right? So knowing your audience high level, there's so many micro levels underneath that, that go into knowing your audience continuously because it changes. Yes. But you had an exceptionally difficult job at ClickUp because it's a horizontal product. So many different personas can yeah. utilize your platform. So how did you go about, where did you start? 
<laughs> that is a great question. And I think it's like, it's like a blessing and a curse, of course, because it's not, it's not yes. vertical in the way that you're like, just, it has to be so niche that you can't reach a broader audience. Yeah. So we viewed it more as like B2C in the beginning. It's like, okay, like our play mm. is going, reach, like our TAM is pretty much everyone. It's teams, but the teams can be from two to thousands of people. So in pretty much every industry across yeah. every single role. So to start, you know, you're yeah. going to, if you, if you want to be able to even have like, to have like be top of mind or be relevant in anyone's head, like you have to cast a really wide net, which is why like a lot of our, you know, our buys were, they weren't fully national, but they were in every single city that knowledge workers were in, right? Like the major yeah. U.S. And that was really where we hyper-focused our yeah. campaigns and our ad buys and our, our geo-targeting for pretty much all of our campaigns. And it spoke to everyone because uh. these were problems that we could pretty much solve for everyone. And of course, you know, as you move further in your in your tenure and, and, and as a company, you focus more on specific ICPs based on expansion and based on other yeah on other triggers and things that you see along the way and other trends. But the reality is like, you really want to own my share across your full market potential. And then you can create hyper-focused campaigns to hit these ICPs. And that's how, that's sort of how I look at it. So it's yeah. harder at first because you do, and easier because you want to reach everyone. And then it becomes like, okay, we need to speak to these different personas. How do we do that? But we've already achieved that top level brand awareness so it makes it a little bit easier because we're already either known or in some way in the consideration set before we even create that subsequent more funneled, more targeted campaign. Yeah. It's interesting because it seems like you went about it the opposite way that everyone preaches yeah. or yeah. their playbooks, right? Of find your niche, niche down as, as tiny as yeah. you can so you can get really hyper-focused. Everyone preaches that. And it seems like you took the opposite approach of like wide net we know what we can accomplish for all of these people. So we focus on that message, but it's generalized. And then we see what we learn from these bigger ones and kind of go down into the more focused sub, sub yeah. ICPs. I, I think guess. also if you can own like a category or be synonymous with something where ClickUp is synonymous with productivity and synonymous with work, it's easier to, to then niche down and, and find those specific ICPs. It's like similar to Geico, right? Geico is, you know, they're yeah. in billions of dollars on awareness and on on market share to people that are under 18 that, you know, don't need insurance yet. But when they yeah. do need insurance, they're going to think of Geico. And if they need specific insurance, then they're going to, you know, it's going, they're going to niche down and understand that Geico has auto insurance and a homeowner's insurance and all these different brackets and under this yeah. Geico umbrella. And that's sort of how I think of us. We're this larger productivity umbrella in which marketers, developers, IT, HR can all coexist and work collaboratively. That's such a good comparison too. I never thought about it like that. Cause if you're advertising insurance like Geico, then people know that they associate you with that. So when they're looking for motorcycle insurance, they're like, oh, Geico has insurance. Let's see if they do that. And they already, they know part of it. Exactly. It even, I mean, Geico, I, I love that comparison because Geico has every single type of insurance, but they don't need to focus on yeah. those types of insurance because you just associate Geico with no. insurance. And that's so that the correlation that that makes more sense rather than like Geico advertising for jewelry insurance and auto insurance and motorcycle insurance and homeowners insurance and umbrella policies. Yes. It's like, that's way too confusing. Like market at the highest level and yes. then and then get the, when you get the buyer in, you're able to sell them on what you can do for other teams. And then I think is also, that's where expansion comes in, right? If you can get the marketing team using ClickUp, then it's much 
much easier for us to expand within a company yes. when one team is already excited about it. So why don't we just get ex- get everyone excited within each role, each sector about work productivity and then expand within? Yeah. It's so great because I love this mentality. And do you think that having the B2C background allowed you to kind of to see yeah. this vision clearly, whereas in B2B, where we're kind of trained to that niche down focus, you didn't even have to worry about that because you had this other yeah. mentality coming in. I think that's always been my superpower. It's like stepping into most things blind and not copying a hundred percent, but like not thinking like the industry that I was in before. <laughs> that's It's like, I think that's yeah. just been the biggest blessing because I, I was never a trained B2B marketer. So I never thought of B2B marketing as needed to be like business to business instead of like business, like business to human. Rather. To so it's just a yeah. lot of what I was like, why don't we do this? Like buyers are people and enterprise buyers are yeah. still people. They're the same buyers as mid-market yeah. buyers and small business. They are the same. And if we're selling the, yeah. we're selling the value of the fact that we make work easier because everything's in one place, we're selling that to everyone. So yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of my yeah. playbook, a lot of my thought process coming in was definitely the B two C angle. Yeah, I love that. You, and then you mentioned the kind of land and expand, right? Or if you get in through marketing and then you can expand to other teams and departments after a year or two. I mean, I'm making up timelines here, but after some time, and you were were you able to identify patterns of a certain department or ICP being the best in to expand from? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. I mean. Okay. It starts It starts very high level. And then, of course, you can go after every single ICP and create subsequent campaigns, but then you're going after everyone. So yes, there's definitely, hey, this is uh, the, the, the way that we're going to land and expand more is in through marketing, in through agencies, in through developers, right? These are the core ICPs we should focus on because yeah. that's you definitely start to see it, which is great. Yeah. It's like you've done all this and then you start to see the data and then you can utilize that data to create yes. uh, you know, more niche campaigns. But you can still do that in really fun, cool B2C cool. style ways. It's just more targeted based on the language and based on the value. Yeah. And it, beca- it probably becomes layers of campaigns where you still keep that wide net of general branding so that people associate you with the ter- like everything you want them to. But then you also have these sub targeted campaign yes. layers underneath that umbrella. It's a hundred percent. Beautiful. 100%. Very famous click up for doing the Super Bowl ad, right? And getting into that, do you think that also from your B2C background was an easier entry? Because I think it's really difficult or B2B doesn't really think of doing something like that very often, right? It's super new for us. So breaking barriers. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it was exciting. I had never done a Super Bowl ad before. So I said yes, because I say yes to everything that's exciting. And how could you say no to a Super Bowl ad? And, you know, I definitely wanted to do it. And it's also like we had, it wasn't just like, oh, let's do a Super Bowl ad. You know, we invested so heavily out of home and into experiential and all of these different marketing activities yeah. that were tied to general awareness that to be able to fund that and to be able to on the biggest stage made a lot of sense. Now, we didn't buy a national yeah. ad. We bought a geo-targeted ad into the cities that we had already run significant out of home campaigns. So it followed it followed our pattern of investment and it followed like yeah. our thought process on 
hitting knowledge workers. So most of the people seeing our Super Bowl ad had probably seen our billboards, had probably seen our advertising. So it, it made a lot of sense for us. It was kind of like this year lead up to the biggest stage and a much larger investment into something that we had the internal team to be able to execute on and we bought strategically and it was geo-targeted. So it made a lot of sense the way that we yeah. did it. Not that it was cheap, but it was definitely, it was strategic as it could be in the way that we purchased it and the way that we yeah. created it. Did you have this planned out as kind of the big hurrah after all of these geo-targeted out of home? Like I know in Miami personally, I saw ClickUp wrapped all of our transportation in Miami. Yeah. So it was yeah. just like ClickUp Christmas. <laughs> and that's how I first have heard of ClickUp. So amazingly like worked. That was the first step and then it built up. Yeah. So was it planned to be this big final step of the Super Bowl ad from the get-go or was that just a cherry on top that came... A little bit later. I mean, did I always want to do a Super Bowl ad? Yeah, I mean, I you know that that's like the holy grail of advertising. <laughs> but I think it yeah. was just it was that point in time where it really made sense for us to do that. Yeah. It was this like culmination of all of these things that laddered up to this is the right investment. Like we've done all these things. Like we've spent all this money to yeah. get this far. Like we're gonna do this, and it was you know a lot of other B two B advertisers did the same thing. Gong was on there, They're, like a bunch of other B two B companies were running Super Bowl ads. And we're like, why would we Monday dot com? Like our one of our biggest competitors was doing it, and we're like, we can do something yeah. better than them. You know, like we can we can kind of put yeah. them to shame. Yeah, and we're like, why why not? And like our whole strategy had also been punching up. We punched up against Atlassian and against Jira. I'll never be hired by Jira because of what we've done to them. Yeah. But, which is fine. <laughs> um, but, you know, <laughs> we had done all of that and our whole strategy was punching up against the companies that we wanted to be one day. And this was just the perfect yeah. way to do it. Obviously, there was more pressure because it's like our biggest competitors also doing their Super Bowl ad. You know, what is their, th like everyone was eagle-eyeing their strategy, their approach, what their ad was going to be, their teasers. And uh, I mean, I think we did a better job. You know, it's like, yeah. I, I, you know, they, they put all of this money into production to create an ad that like didn't really resonate where we created a very something that was very, very us, very humorous, very yeah. differentiated, definitely something that you... You don't really see. We went back in history. We had we had done a few history ads before, so this felt very like this is a great way to put this on the big stage. Yeah. So you said something just now that like it, this was very us, right? Like more authentic, and it was fun. And like, how did you go about determining what us was for ClickUp? You can, I mean, this can be any brand that you've worked with, but I'm curious how you've created amazing amazing brands. It's obviously your strong suit, one of them. So where do you begin in creating this very cohesive, clear brand identity? Yeah. So I would not have joined a company that I felt there was an uphill battle in creating the type of brand that I'm good at creating. Vibrant, bold, yeah. differentiated out of the box. If I felt that leadership at this company, ClickUp, was not aligned to that vision and my personality, it, it wouldn't have worked. So, yeah. you know, when I was, yeah. when I joined ClickUp, it was, I believe, 60 or 70 people. They had good product market fit. The logo was already created. The brand was already vibrant. Our founder and CEO, Zeb, is vibrant, is bold. He wears bold prints. Like everything about him screams the brand, which yeah. was part of the reason that I was like, this is great because like it already is inherent. Yeah. 
company and to what he has built. And to be able to capitalize on that and build upon it and take that places and explore with it was just that perfect fit. So if I was trying to yeah. come into service now and I'm like, we're going to be ClickUp, like that, that wouldn't have, you know, that, like we're going to be the bold yeah. and vibrant <laughs> and funny, like that, that would just like be a terrible fit. Yeah. So it was inherent in, in what he had built to date. And I, I just felt like that was the perfect fit for me to be able to jump in and, and do a lot of what I was able to do. Yeah. And get it out there more to yeah. just a massive audience. Amazing. And then we touched on, of course, a couple of, of big campaigns or pieces of your campaigns, but what are you most proud of in any position? Like what are, what's one of the moments or campaigns that comes to mind when you, and makes you smile when you think of it, like you're just pumped that happened. I mean, Super Bowl Adam sure is up there, but <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I love what we did when we went up against Jira. I think it was just really funny. And like, I think the execution was like, you couldn't watch that and like not laugh. You know, we yeah. created basically a series of what the equivalent of like Apple versus PC ads would have been in the nineties. And yeah. they were very hard hitting against Jira. And my favorite one was called a beta tool. And it was basically a fake pharmaceutical ad that positioned ClickUp as, you know, the, the yes, film. Magic I remember film that. That that would yes, uh, yes, yes. kill you from Jira. And we filmed it just like a pharma ad. And, you know, we, we created this a beta tool and it was just, it almost was like red light <laughs> skit in the way that it was. Yeah. And I think that's what made it really approachable. Like, A, you're already familiar with that format. Like, you're familiar with, like, that satirical thing. You've seen it on SNL. You've seen skits like that. That was number one. Two, you're all familiar, like, everyone's familiar with the pharmaceutical format. So we already, you know, you kind of are already captivated because you're like, what is this for, right? Like, it draws you in. And then yeah. if you are using JIRA, yeah. we use all of the pain points and the research that we had done on why people hate JIRA. <laughs> you know, it had almost become like yeah. a cultural meme. And then we incorporated this into this heavily dramatic, <laughs> you know, dramatized ad. And it just, it was just like the, the chef's kiss. It was like perfect. My team just, yes. you know, it. it was so much fun to make. And it landed really well. Like I, I had people from Atlassian yeah. emailing me saying, okay, good job. Like, you know, they, they couldn't help but laugh. Oh, like, wow. I was like, what were they emailing? <laughs> yeah. They were like, uh, don't call, oh, don't call anyone who sent you this, but yeah, that yeah. was really they're like, any openings over there? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we had a bunch of people join from Atlassian because of our advertising strategy. Yeah. Like, you just couldn't help but, wow. but laugh. So I think like taking a very, yeah. I would say a bigger risk, creating something that is polarizing. Many people do not love that format of advertising, you know, jousting against your competitors. Yeah. But when yeah. it's right, it's and I think also the cultural sentiment around Jira was so poor that going up and there were already so many memes like that were circulating yeah. that it wasn't us going up against Monday, us going up against a tool that, that already yeah. people do not like using, especially that are not engineers that are being forced to use. Like we utilize that yeah. aspect of it and said, this is the right competitor to go against because of these reasons. Yes. So it wasn't just like, oh, let's pick one out of the hat. It was like, this makes a hundred, we, yeah. we know we can win against them. And they're already culturally, like it, it's relevant to kind of talk about how how frustrating the product is to use. Why don't we use that to our advantage yeah. and then also tie in a creative format to it? 
Yeah. And most importantly too, the the product can live up to what you're saying, yeah. right? So it's yeah. not like you're making this claim and it's a better tool and then they go and it's like, uh, same issue. Like you have right. to be able to deliver after that. Absolutely. And it does. So absolutely. Yeah. So I'm curious for when you come up with campaigns like this in really any company, but it, for, with this example to expand on it, how does it begin? Like the start of an idea, that first sparkle and then expanding on it. Are you big on brainstorming as a team or kind of how does that process typically work for you? Yeah. I mean, it's like in this case, it, uh, we we realized that I think it was um one of our sales reps or our VP of sales said, hey, we're winning against Jira in like pretty much every case. And it was like, okay, great. Let's, and then our CEO is like, let's do a big campaign. Oh, that's how things start. And then everyone got on it, 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 which was so awesome to see everyone just kind of be like, yes, like this is, this is it. Like it's campaign, yeah. our big campaign against Jira. And we went into yeah. our little creative lab and came up with 10 different concepts. Yeah. And then our team wrote scripts and we figured out which ones we wanted to go with and we narrowed it down to five different ads that we would you know a b test and go into market with and then we shot them i think we did this in like i think it was like it was something crazy like three weeks we shot five ads we created an entire wow. campaign we our our product team got our importer ready to to go to import from jira so wow. i mean it was, it was a, a such a collaborative campaign across growth and product and and design and and product design and us and every part of the company was, in, was pretty much involved in this which was very special yeah so cool. So it all starts with Intel, right? That little piece of Intel that just piques interest. Like, okay, we're already winning in this area. How do we expand on that and make a bigger splash since we know it's already working? Exactly. And then that that brainstorming, that think tank is the heart of it, right? Making those those ideas, bringing them to, to light. So you admit here, like it, it's a risk, right? You have to take a risk because you're going up, you're battling a, a big company that's well known. Yes. For everyone who's risk averse in marketing, what do you, or, or really to everybody, just do you think it's important to take risks in marketing and to what degree or here you explained like they, there was already steps towards it. So it was a comfortable risk, but a risk nonetheless, I guess just, I'm, I'm kind of all over the place here, but who should take risks and when? <laughs> I mean, a lot of the things that I said, like, right, like the insight, the cultural mainstream relevance of how dissatisfied people were with this product already allowed it like opened the the hole for us to kind of swoop in and say we're going to like capitalize on that our ability to yeah. create what we thought and what we knew were really funny ways of telling this story and our confidence in that because we had done it historically my confidence in the team that we could pull it off and also I had a sit down with our CEO when we decided to do this and I said these ads are great you love them and I said, we align, we're aligned yeah. on this, but I was like, I want to let you know, people are going to find this polarizing. Like, regardless of how awesome they are, people are going to love it and some people are going to hate it. 
and they're going to hate it because they're like, focus on your own product and don't, you know, like, why are you, why do you have to mention the other, yeah. why have to, you know, yeah. like, it's just, there's just a, like a bias in, in marketing towards people that hate competitive advertising and it's just a known thing. Yeah. So, you know, it's just the warning of like, hey, this is going to happen no matter how great our ads are. We just need to be ready for some backlash in that case. And if we're willing to do that, then this is going to be a fantastic campaign. So yeah. it's a little bit of level setting and just making sure that there's transparency so that they can, your yeah. CEO can expect whatever the backlash could be. And then it, it's really understanding yeah. that insight. How is the market going to respond to this? Like the fact that there are already, you know, memes and cultural pieces in, in Reddit that had millions and millions of views about how much people hated this tool. Like it was open for our commentary. So it just... yeah. Every piece of that, the insight, just like that piece, the our ability and our confidence in our team to create really like actually humorous things, the way that we approached it, it wasn't so harsh. It wasn't it wasn't like a political bashing ad, yeah. you know. It I think there's so many fun. elements of like how you do something and how you think about it that gives you that gut feeling of like this is right, you know? And it's based on data and it's based yeah. on actually happening. But we didn't do that across every single company that we compete against. Like and also, yeah. us is a fifty dollar billion dollar company. Like they should be able to handle it, you know. Yeah, and, <laughs> true. And if they and if they want to, and they want to punch down, or we welcome it. Let big companies punch down yeah. and give you that space, give you that awareness. Did they do anything like after the fact? Meaning, like, did they respond in any kind of ad? I hadn't seen anything, but I of course could have missed it. They did something really funny at their very large user conference about a couple of months uh. ago, they, their chief product officer started mentioning our billboards. And like he had a bunch of logos, competitor logos above his head on a big screen. And he said, you'll, you'll never believe this. I saw this ad on the way to this conference and it said one app to replace them all. And he kept going on. He must have said, he must have talked about our billboards. Can you believe that one app to replace them all? He was on a billboard and on a bus. <laughs> we were just like, why is he giving us like, he's not mentioning the company, but our company logo is above his head. Why is he saying our slogan over and over? <laughs> So we did That's what so funny. We did what we would have done at BuzzFeed. And we took this yeah. clip of him and we created a song and we put the song behind it and we remixed him. And then we put him <laughs> side by side with our billboards and uh, we duped his voice. So it basically we created an ad for ourselves out of the ad that he gave us and gifted us. Oh, I love that. You guys are so ballsy. I, I love know. it. Uh, it was ballsy. It was ballsy. We did it in our and we posted it everywhere. Again, I got a lot of emails from very like funny emails from Atlassian people that were like, that was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Like he I think hated it. I heard that he hated it. I, I would I'm imagine. Sure. sure. But yeah, we, we did that. They um they we we did something very strategic, which was we had every single one of our employees post it from their LinkedIn accounts. So they couldn't issue Love a takedown it. notice because it was sep the instance of it was like a thousand instances of it on LinkedIn. They would never be able to do that. So it went viral, you know, yeah. on its own, and there was no nothing they could really do. It. Wow! So ballsy, very ballsy. Not every company the, would do that. The marketing brain there. 
it was yeah. also just like, it's a mindset of looking for these opportunities like granted like everything yes the opportunities come as a byproduct of you doing all these other things to get to that moment but then if you have a mindset of like yes. looking for these opportunities and when you see them being able to take advantage of them in real time like that's a mindset so i think it's like thinking like that and yes. the, the buzzfeed way of thinking was definitely how do we take this thing and turn it into a viral meme within minutes of it and, and that was like how we approach this yes I mean, it just made everything makes sense from your background that comes into just creating this culture of people kind of being able to react on a dime, right? So yeah. if being able to pause the bigger long-term projects and strategies they're working on for an opportunity that they don't want to miss. So it's yeah. creating that environment. It's so, it seems just so fun and like fast paced. Yeah. I mean, it's very hard. It's definitely hard. And yeah. it's definitely, you know, like it's you're constantly trying to beat with yourself, beat yourself and compete with yourself. And these opportunities don't come every day. And the market is hard now. That's um, true. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely yeah. it's fun being able to take this approach and have seen it work over the past three years. Just being infinitely proud of like the best team I've ever worked with. Like, you know, these guys are the best. They are the best. And uh, coming into yeah. a new industry and, and being able to like, do something that is cool and differentiated is very special. Yeah. I love that. And how you mentioned the past year or two, or I mean, the past few years have been crazy, but the, this year has been especially tough in the the tech space. How has that changed things like culture and performance and what's working? Like, what have you pivoted with your team to yeah. get, to bring revenue in, in this crazy year? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's definitely obviously a focus on efficiency we're not doing the huge, huge billboard buys and like investments in like the m much more broader, like expensive awareness, but we do have an amazing team that is able to produce yeah. content very quickly, very cheaply, very efficiently that can still speak to broader narratives that exist regardless, you know, inefficiency within companies and meetings and AI and all the topics that people are still talking about that you want to be able to take advantage of. So thinking of it as like, thousands of micro billboards, micro campaigns that you're running at any moment rather than like the big campaigns that cost a lot of money. So just a, a yeah. mindset switch into how do you think about what you can do for, at, you know, more efficiently than, than spending a ton of money on billboards. Yeah. Makes sense. It's the whole, what we're all dealing with, the more of less, right? And scaling yeah. where you can yeah. and cutting where you can. I'm curious. So you've conquered B2C and media. You've, I'd say conquered B2B now. Not that this is happening anytime soon, but I'm curious what you see in the future for yourself as the next challenge, because you've gone in these two directions. I'm curious if you are you have a third in the future. I don't know, but I'm not the type to like say in the same space again. Yeah. <laughs> like even within media, yeah. you know, when I went from BuzzFeed to starting Cheddar, Cheddar was different. It was not publishing. Yeah. It was live stream news network that could differentiate. I always like to challenge myself with yeah. something that I think is the next thing or free up my brain from like what I've done for the past couple of years. Because I think like starting from a clean slate where you're like, oh shit, I have to figure this out again is A, I think the most rewarding yeah. thing that you can do to yourself because you're not complacent. It's just like, how do I challenge myself again? It would be like... If I, yeah. in my next move, like I would not want to go to a company that's in B2B SaaS that's like create ClickUp for us. Like that just doesn't feel appealing yeah. to me. So I don't know. And you but, know, so many companies are going to be coming to you asking for exactly that. <laughs> I, and, and, I, and I'm like, eh, that's like not, not what I want to yeah. do. 
So it'll be something probably different yeah. in which I feel like there's yeah. green grass again in a space that needs something yeah. different and be built where there is that that excitement and I feel it. Like it's it's just also like an inherent gut feeling yeah. that like it can happen and this is the company and this is the space that can happen in. and also like looking at the market yeah. and trending. I'm very like into that. I see something in the travel space in your future. That's I feel like that's a totally separate field that would be just so brand new. Yeah. I love the travel space. I just don't love the travel space. <laughs> I uh it's just yeah. like it's such like both like a seasonal and financial, like heavily dependent on the market. And like it's just yes, the factors in which like true. I don't know. It's, you know, it's like, it's too much of a, yeah. of a risky space, but I love it. I love it. I, I wanted to start by you like risk. Yeah. This one, this one doesn't yeah. seem like a great, a great, uh, <laughs> too many factors, different kind of risk for you. Yeah. Especially after the pandemic. I mean, it, it hit it so hard. It was crazy yeah. to be in. Yeah. It's not a, it's not recession proof or pandemic proof, no. but really what is Right, pandemic proof, our new thing. I did see recently, I think you posted, you went to Japan, if I'm not mistaken. And you posted something about how you highly recommend the need to just unplug basically and recharge. And one way to do it is through travel. I'm curious, why do you think this, that we need to do to recharge? What does it do to reinvigorate us? And is travel key to it? Or is it just turning off for a while? Good question. This is, it's a weird way to say this, but like the way that I operate within companies that I go to, I like go very like hard and fast and I don't really like pick my head up. Like I just don't like, uh. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I question this a bit, but I've definitely like made sacrifices in my personal life and everything to be able to get to where I am. And I think that that's just yeah. a reality of like who I am and what I'm driven by and what I want. I don't think that everyone is yeah. the same way. And I, I think that's totally fine. It's, it's if, if you want this, you want a family, you want friends, you want like, like you just can't do everything. So I think it's like picking and choosing what's yes. really important to you and optimizing your life and your career for that. Yeah. I do yeah. believe at certain points in time, like you do need it. I hadn't taken a vacation in years. I don't also love vacations. I like experiences. And I think like travel can be an experience yeah. where you're like, Japan is just such a different perspective on culture and what they value and how they act. And it just takes your mind out of an American way of thinking. And I think that's like my, I love that. Yes. So I, I think travel is a great way yes. to open your mind up and expose yourself to things that you don't know about and just expand your way of thinking. And uh, that's why I love it so much. And I travel to Japan a lot for BuzzFeed because I had a team there and I just like fell in love oh, with cool. it. I fell in love with the culture and it's like my favorite yeah. place to spend time. It's just, it's, it's its own world and it's so special and, and just unique and cool and just uh, limitless. Yeah. I need to go. It's I've been into the airport for a transfer, but, but I haven't stepped out of the airport. It's on my very high up on my list, hopefully soon. But I agree. I, I mean, I'm a big advocate for traveling because exactly what you said, it gives you just new perspective and to get yeah. out of the American mindset. And the, I mean, that can mean so many different things, but yeah. really to get yeah, out of right. all of those American mindsets. <laughs> uh, it's just so refreshing to just remember that there's so many other types of people and ways of living and cultures. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, if the pandemic taught us anything, it's like travel while you can. Like we, 
Japan was shut yeah. down for years. I mean, you know, unimaginable happened. And I think whether you travel and you are able to work remotely now, or you're able to take a, a trip where you can work a little bit remote, like I think travel is just really helpful. And not to say that like travel shouldn't be a vacation to Cabo where you can just lay out in the sun. If that's like your idea of recharging, great. I mean, my, my idea of recharging is walking 200 miles through a city that I want to explore and looking at everything with yeah. new eyes. And then that's what fuels me yeah. outside of outside of work and helps me come up with ideas. I mean, I think you in order yes. to like completely shut off, you have to immerse yourself in something completely different. And I think that's different things for everyone. For me, that's, you know, a part of that is travel. Are you off always um, like jotting down ideas as they come? I just like, I'm the kind of person who I'll get an idea at midnight, like as I'm trying to fall asleep, I'm like, oh, and then I go write it down or in the shower. And, like, and I try to write it so I know what it means because I'll wake up in the morning and be like, oh, yes, yes. That's the worst when that happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll wake up and it, and if you in the middle of the night. Yeah. Or I'll, like, I'll take a picture of something that's inspiring to me in like a, on a trip. Yes. But yeah, I'm always like, I think my ideas come a lot when I'm not thinking. If you're trying to think so hard about something, yes. sometimes you're just like, Ugh. but you'll just then take a break from it, do something else. And you're like, ah, got it. Ah, got it. Like that's how I think or in the shower yes. or something where I'm just not in that. Yes. Change so bottom line here, change your scenery, even if change it's just stepping away from the laptop for a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe stop because you'll think. How? How do we do that? <laughs> I don't know. It's hard. I don't, I don't I struggle with it myself. So I, I don't I don't really have the answer. Sometimes it just yeah. happens. Try. It's like, yeah, try yeah. I yeah. when you naturally fall out of a state of just focusing and trying to come up with a solution, sometimes a solution comes to you. Mm-hmm. I love that. My it's Funny, my my husband jokes that when we go on vacation, I I become vacation Jane, like mm-hmm. just a different person where I I stop thinking and that, yeah. that kind of weight and craziness and frenzy and constant to do list is paused. Yeah, but that is when I come up with like ideas and I start thinking. And it, it you're right when you get that break. So take vacations, everyone, whatever that is for you. <laughs> yes, I I agree. Whatever vacation means to you, it's still important especially as hard as most of us all work and how much of our lives we pour into our work. It's important to feel refreshed every once in a while. Otherwise, you're going to get burnt out. It's a real thing. Mm-hmm. And it, speaking of advice, I wonder if you were to look back at yourself just getting into marketing 15 plus years ago, I mean, it, it wasn't even B2B to start in media, like get, starting out in your career. What would you tell yourself going back in time that would change your trajectory or just like ease her mind? Just what would you tell younger Melissa? Hmm. Good question. I would say two things. One, like I really do believe this, like everything happens for a reason, like trust in the journey, trust in the process. Some things will be incredibly painful, you know, in your career wise, like that, that pain is temporary. It really is temporary. Like the hardest things I've ever been through in my career in the moment are just like so painful. They're so painful. You think there's no way out of them. And then in reality, like five months later, like you're, you don't remember that. You almost romanticize it. It's like, it's so funny. It's like some of the hardest things I've ever went through. Like sometimes I'll be with my husband and I'll joke and I'll be like, hey, remember that? Like when I, and he's like, you, you were miserable. (laughs) 
And I'm like, oh my yes. gosh, you know, I forgot about that because like everything else was great. Like, you know, the, the, the story was great. The story is great. So yes. I think it's pain is temporary yes. and you don't realize that. And some of the hardest and worst things that can you think are happening can be definitely like blessings in disguise. I totally believe that. And then I also believe that having like a bit of naivety in whatever you're doing is is a blessing too. Having kind of a lack of an yeah. understanding maybe or not having a playbook is like your key differentiator almost because you're not leaning on something yes. that you think will work. You're you're building from scratch. And I think that like when, when people are like, what's your competitive advantage? Like, it's like that you don't kind of have one, <laughs> you know, you're figuring it out. Yeah. And the ability to think freely and do that, I think, is actually a competitive advantage in itself. So going into media and advertising and trying to rewrite the model of what advertising was and have never been in advertising before, to me, not knowing certain aspects of that was the most helpful thing because I didn't know that there was, the answer was never no. It was like, why not? Like, wh- 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 yeah. why? It wasn't like 10 years of being told yeah. no, or 10 years of it being this way. It was just like, I'm going to come in and do this. And I think that's always the approach I've taken. And learning that every step of the way has allowed me to be like, everything can be disrupted. Everything can be differentiated. Everything can change. Yes. And, and it happens more now than it did because everything was kind of very stagnant, I think, for many years. But now things, you know, with technology becoming so democratized, things change so quickly. Yeah that's obviously a huge advantage. It's being able to pivot and, and being agile and a lot of the skill set of like, things are not the way that they, the things that the way that they are this year are not going to be the way they are in six months. And like understanding that is like, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's for every three months things change. Yeah. I mean, like open AI and like really? what that's done to everything. But I think um, that's always been something that I think I embrace. I'm, I'm, I think not being comfortable with things yeah. is a very strong skill. For sure. I mean, it's so clear even just after this conversation that you are comfortable with discomfort. So that's a huge skill. And it it's so funny how companies typically hire for exactly what you were saying you wouldn't want to do next, right? Like, oh, you've done this before, come do it for us. And that's yeah. what people hire for, right? But that's a completely backwards way to look because like you said, we should throw out the playbooks and be able to apply skills from what you've accomplished in other organizations. Yeah versus the exact same thing you've done before. Yes, yes. It, it's an element of that, right? It's like, I will likely be building brand, but I don't want to be building the same brand for the same yeah, industry. the same way. That just doesn't make this sense. I mean, I would never agree to do that. I think it's, it's figuring out what, yeah. that company should feel and look like and building brand for them. So yeah, I it, it is funny that that's the way that people think rather than saying like, oh, this outside the yeah. box thinker is sort of what we're looking for that has a track record of X. But like, I mean, I guess it's hard to find what that person, who that person is. But yeah, it is typically like, we want this, yeah. you know, and like, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe she should the want specific this. channel, the specific way. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, Thank you so much, Melissa, for joining us today. This has been so good. I would love to pick your brain endlessly. You should definitely have a class that I would take every day. <laughs> so thank you so much for sharing some of your your light and creativity with us. So much, so appreciated. Yeah, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And thank you everybody for listening. If you liked the episode, I'm sure you did. Like, share, tag a friend and connect with with me and Melissa. I'm sure on LinkedIn, right? Best place to, to follow you. I'm I very imagine. Easy to find. Yes. 
Cool. Search also Spotify, Apple Podcasts. She's everywhere because she's just so great at sharing her, her intel. So thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>